And we are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Spiritpreneur School. I am your headmistress, Aviola Abrams. Today, we are excited, challenged, um, and just thrilled. Please, this punch, as my grandmother would say, had I an American grandmother, she was from South America, so she didn't say stuff like that. But please, this punch that we have one of my indigo sisters with us today, Miss Ariel Garten. Am I pronouncing your name properly, Ariel? You got it. Awesome to have this conversation with you. This is really exciting because Ariel, she is just such a unique spirit in this world. She she is just a goddess who converges the worlds of arts, science, um, mindfulness. And it's usually, you know, these are very separate worlds. And so I'm not going to give you now her formal bio. We're going to get into that a little bit later. I just wanted to just jump in and say, Ariel, without the formal bio, who are you? Who is this goddess muse woman in front of us? Uh, so I'm a beautiful female. Um, do you have an echo? Are we cool? No, okay. There is an echo, but I think it, it, it's now it's subsided. All right. I make this amazing device called Muse, the brain sensing headband. It's an EEG that tracks your brain activity in real time and gives you real-time feedback to help you meditate. I'm many, many things. Uh, I'm a mother-to-be. I am an artist, a neuroscientist who's worked in uh, labs from neurogenesis through to Parkinson's disease, and I'm a woman who runs a company of 50 people who are bringing amazing products to this world that help people understand their mind and improve their life. Absolutely amazing. Now, congratulations on your baby, Ariel. I didn't know that you were expecting, so we have a little one who's joining us for this conversation. Yes, I had... Down in the oven. <laughs> Beautiful. I had the pleasure of having a Muse experience about maybe about six weeks or so ago. And it was really, really powerful, Ariel, because I teach meditation. I have two meditation albums that are out. And, you know, when I first heard about this brain sensing headband, I didn't get it. But when I tried it and, you know, was able to have a Muse experience, it was absolutely out of the this world. So can you tell people, you know, you mentioned that you have a company with this brain sensing headband. What is Muse exactly? And for those who are saying, well, you know, I meditate anyway, why do I need it? Can you tell us about this incredible experiment that you've created? Sure. So my own background is in neuroscience and actually psychotherapy. So I'd be encouraging people to meditate and they'd go off and meditate and they'd sit in a room and their brain would bounce all over the place and they'd be like, this didn't work. Am I doing this right? What's going on? So we created this device to make meditation easy. You slip it on and you actually end up hearing the sound of your own mind while you meditate. So you get real-time feedback on when you're in a state of focused attention and when your mind has wandered and then guidance to bring you back into that state of focused attention. The metaphor uses your mind is like the wind. So when you're thinking distracted, remaining, you hear it as stormy. And as you come to clear focused attention, you fight the wind. So if you're starting to get into a practice and you're sitting there and you're like, this isn't working, Muse actually tells you it's working and gets you to that place of meditation. If you have a practice, Muse actually gives you real-time feedback to know when you were in the zone and when you weren't. 
and hones and tightens and sharpens your ability to get into that state of focused attention and track your meditation so you become motivated, you can see your progress over time, and you can share and communicate with others with the language that it gives you around the process of your own mind. Beautiful. I love the way that you stated that, a language that it gives you around the process of your own mind. Now, you know, to get a bit into your formal background, you studied at the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. As you said that you are a scientist, um, a neuroscientist, actually. And in addition to that, that you are a therapist and a fashion designer. Awesome, yes. That is an eclectic background. When was it that you said, you know, we need a brain sensing headband? So for me, I've always wanted to help people understand their mind and improve their life. Um, even as a little child, I was aware that I was able to be more effective in the world because I wasn't held back by the stories in my own head. So as a therapist, I'd be bringing people solutions that would really work and I'd you know, give them this, this powerful tool meditation to help them quiet their mind and they just wouldn't be able to do it. Like they'd sort of get it, but it would be hard to form that practice. In the meantime, I was working in a research lab with a brain-computer interface technology um, with simple sensors that actually let you make music from your mind. We were creating concerts where 50 people at a time could hear the sound of their own mind and join in concert with one another. And from there, the marriage just became very clear that we had this tool that actually let you see inside your own head, that let you actually glimpse the process of your own internal being in a way that could be so powerful. So we applied this technology to meditation, and the rest is history. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, tell us, what is your background growing up in Toronto? Were you from a family of artists or more neuroscientific people? What's your, what's your family, your personal background? So uh, my mother's a beautiful artist, so I'd sit there and watch her make beautiful large oil on canvas paintings. So from absolutely nothing, from just her imagination, she'd bring an entire world to life. And from there, I learned that you could imagine anything and bring it to life. That your own mind was the place where ideas came from, and the entire world was your canvas. And so I was never held back by this notion of, oh, you know, it needs to fit into a little box. Oh, you know, it's not possible. I was really guided by two parents who were entrepreneurs who imagined things and made them happen. And I believed that that's just what you did in the world. The idea of working for somebody else and fitting into somebody else's structure and somebody else's goals, if they were a corporate goal, just never fit. Um, so I learned that you could really find freedom in your own mind. And then I decided that it was my mission to help people understand that they could achieve the same. They could imagine anything they wanted to be in their life and remove all the barriers to making it happen and just see that world and make it come to life. Oh, my sister, you are singing my song because yes, that is, I feel like that, you know, exactly what you just said is really my purpose for being on this planet, you know, to let us know, you know, that we are our own limitation, that any block, you know, that is there is because we are perceiving it there and then we are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, and so this is really exciting for me. I am an empowerment coach. Um, as well as a speaker and columnist and, you know, all of the, uh, the, the slashes, multi-hyphenate uh, things that we do. And so I love that you came from this background of these entrepreneurial parents, that I'm the first person in my family born in America. And so coming from an immigrant background, I think that I, I have this, you know, that for me, like I literally see you can, you can switch worlds, you can create worlds, you can, you know, <laughs> create, create it as you would have it. Now you were able to raise almost, was it almost 300,000 on, on Indiegogo? Yep. So we raised 
uh, we had this great idea that you know we'd taken pretty far down the pipe, and we're able to raise three hundred thousand dollars on Indiegogo, and then from there went and raised millions and millions of dollars in venture funding. So here's an inspiring story. Uh, I come from an entrepreneurial background, but had no formal business training, and was able to teach myself through my mentors and coaches here how to go forward and raise venture capital with an investment deck, and have venture capitalists from Hong Kong, Silicon Valley, New York City, and Toronto all invested in the company and the idea. And we've now, we have tens of thousands of muses in the market. It's in Best Buy. We're a company of 50 people growing and thriving. So, you know, this idea of, well, you can just make anything happen. This is not airy fairy pie in the sky. This is, you know, people with uh, significant dollars behind it and backing who also believe in the idea and have come along our train to bring our vision to life. That is amazing, and that's beautiful that you are in Best Buy, that I didn't know that, because that, that means literally that you're bringing, you know, meditation to the masses. And I feel like we're at this really powerful point in time, you know, that there this, is, this couldn't have happened at any other time, you know, where all of these worlds are converging that really are the same, you know, back in the days, you know, Galileo, like, you know, the scientists were artists, it was all, you know, people saw the possibilities of things being meshed. And, you know, with social media and the ways that we're able to get information to each other in faster ways that this really is, you know, a really powerful point in time. Was there any resistance that you, when you originally had this idea, people who said, you know, well, that's a weird idea or that's stupid or why would people want to do that? Was there any resistance initially? Of course. I mean, we went out and said, hey, this is a device that can read your mind. And at that point, we we're actually letting people literally control physical objects with their mind. We made things like levitating chairs and did a big project at the Olympics where you could control the lights on the CN Tower with your brain from Vancouver, 2,000 miles away. So. You know, we'd go out and tell people you could control the world with your mind, you could control your own mind, and people would think it was pretty nuts. But nobody ever said it was a bad idea, they just thought it was a wild idea. <laughs> so it was up to us to demonstrate that this was provable, this is real, this is true, and ultimately follow through, bring the product to market, do massive, you know, projects like the Olympics, and gain the support of hundreds of thousands of people. We now have 120 different research institutions that use Muse. So Mayo Clinic uses it for breast cancer patients going through a cancer care process. Harvard uses it for traumatic brain injury, and on and on and on. So there's tons of, you know, tons of validation that's come on board with us. Um, it's not just imagination and idea. And I say that to inspire other people that you can have a wild idea and still get institutions like Mayo and Harvard on board it with you. I think that that's really important because a lot of the women who the women who watch the Spiritpreneur School podcast are soul-based entrepreneurs, you know, coaches, healers, light workers, artists, writers, creative people, you know, the people that create what I call the honey of the world. And so if they're watching this Yes, yes. Yes, here you all. <laughs> so if they're watching this, can you please explain what your process is from when you have one of these, you know, inspired aerial ideas to, you know, having a partner to help you to create it to, you know, taking it to market. Can you please get a little bit more detailed for us? Sure. So the first thing is talk to people about your ideas. People are often very shy because they're worried that somebody's going to steal it or they're going to be poo-pooed on it. As you talk to people about it, your idea takes shape. Because the first idea you have isn't necessarily the perfect or the right idea. But as you talk about it, iterate on it, find support for it, you're going to understand exactly where product market fit is. 
So for us, we first came to market with something that didn't really fit the market. You know, we had a technology that was in search of a solution. We had this amazing technology that read your brain that could let you control stuff with your mind and make music. Um, amazing thing, but not a solution. And it actually took us several years of going around, iterating with it, actually creating things, creating physical prototypes, bringing them out in the world, having people use them, and doing so, having people come on board and say, yes, this is great, I want to support you in these ways. And then really identifying and targeting where in the market this was going to fit, how we had product market fit, what the big problem that we could solve was with this was. So we had a great idea and a great technology, but a great technology doesn't mean a great business. Mm -hmm. You have to find the real problem in the market and say, okay, I have a solution that's going to solve this problem. And there are all these people with this problem, and when I bring it, bring the solution to them, they immediately say, yes, I want it. Then you know you have a great business. And from there, you can put the business structure around it. You can start to raise money for it. You can do advertising on it. And do it in stages. You know, go small, get the yes, get the buy-in of society, get the buy-in of customers. And as soon as you have a set of customers, then take that idea and expand it and expand it and expand it. So it took me, I started in the research lab in 2003 with the early brain music technology. And it's taken me to 2015 to have a business, which is now a business worth $50 million. Um, a while, but not that long given, you know, the incredible output. And it's happened by not being afraid, mm -hmm. uh, by not listening to the voices in your head that say no, or I can't do this, or, you know, I need to be held back. It's happened by going out into the world, by doing things, by getting feedback, by bringing in the people who say yes, understanding what it is that they say yes to, because not all of the idea always works. Find the yes and keep following it, build upon it, grow it, build your customers, and expand. Beautiful. Well said. Well said. Worthy advice. Very good advice. So when did meditation enter your life, first of all? And then when did you say, okay, huh, this works with this? You, you so, know, it must be. So as a small child, I was, you know, fascinated with how their brain worked and meditation was one of those things I was fascinated with. So I'd sit there and I'd close my eyes and try to let my brain go blank and never got to nirvana. Um, and then as a therapist, I understood in a lot more detail what meditation really was and why it was so powerful and what the clinical evidence behind it was. When we then came to market with our first product, we actually called it a cognitive training tool because meditation wasn't enough in the conscious mind yet. Um, meditation wasn't yet on the cover of Time magazine. Mm -hmm. And so we felt like we needed to do a little side attack and say, you know, this brain training tool is going to help improve your attention and decrease your stress. Right. Um, and we were successful with that, and it was only probably in the last year that meditation has been so validated by science and so validated by now top executives meditating, by CEOs meditating, by clinics and research institutions. We're at the right point in the zeitgeist to come forward and say, this is a meditation tool, and we can really capitalize on this thing that everybody wants, which is to learn to meditate, which is what we knew all along. But right. that moment of product market fit, of uh, conscious awareness of the of the society around us to just yeah. Yes, yes. So you reached what uh, Gladwell calls the tipping point. You Absolutely. know, society reached the tipping point. And so, you know, you as an entrepreneur before that were doing what, you know, what we all should do, which is, you know, you give them what they, you sell them what they want. And then you give them what they need. So you knew that, okay, this is the the bigger objective, but you have to sell people what it is that they want. You can't insist, oh, no, 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 this is what it is. If they're saying, they're saying I want this other thing. 
So I think and, that that was really wise. Go ahead. Totally. And the outcomes were aligned. So we weren't, we weren't mis-selling them. Right. Uh, we were selling the same outcome, which was, you know, improved attention, decreased stress. Um, it was just through a different set of language. Um, because as people came in, meditation wouldn't resonate, but brain health and brain training did. And then they'd come into this world and be like, all the stuff that I'm learning is really helpful. Hey, is this kind of like that meditation thing I heard about? It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that's really important because I think that, you know, for me, the, the reason I'm created the spiritpreneur movement is that it's about, you know, the integrity of, of, as you said, that you're, you know, that those two things were aligned. It wasn't like you were doing a bait and switch or, you know, opening your coat with, right. That it was like, okay, you know, as, as a therapist, you know, that you were kind of ministering, you know, and saying, well, here it is, you know, I'm going to, this is what you, this is what you want and this is what you need. Yeah, really yeah. powerful. Path to the outcome. Um, the, the language that we use along the way is language that, you know, I'm going to help you understand. Yes, yes. Where now, you know, the great thing is that on every mainstream talk show, they're talking about mindfulness, you know, and meditation and the power of breath and the power of belief. So let's, let's uh, experiment a bit with the device. Mine is not going to stay on because I have very big puffy hair, as you see. Um, and when I did my experiment, I pulled it back and it, it all worked well. <laughs> but so so please walk me through and, and show us like if you once you purchase the Muse, you know how to wear it. Let me first show them the packaging. Actually, it comes in this beautiful, beautiful packaging. This is what the box will look like when you purchase it, invest in your Muse, and you will also have to download an app for mm -hmm. your phone, and then you have the app on your phone, and you have this, and then Ariel, then what? Sure. So this is the Muse. There are uh, clinical grade EEG sensors on the forehead here and behind the ears. So this is the same technology. You go into a hospital with a $50,000 EEG unit, this is it. So it slips on really easily, just like a pair of glasses and the sensors fit on your forehead and behind the ears. You pair it to your phone, just like you would an earpiece or a speaker, um, and then it connects automatically to the app on your phone. The Muse then reads your brain data, and the app gives you real-time feedback as you meditate. So it guides you through a very simple breath-focused attention, and as you pay attention to your breath, the sound quiets down and the winds quiet down. As your mind wanders and gets distracted, which all our minds do, the winds pick up, letting you know that you've become distracted. Now, typically in meditation, you focus on an object, your mind wanders, and it's your job to notice that it's wandered and bring it back. This act of noticing it's wandered and bring it back, that's the work of meditation. That's like doing a rep at the gym. Mm -hmm. Typically in meditation, it's like one, three, five minutes, right, I'm on the grocery list, I'm supposed to be meditating. So maybe you get in like five or ten reps in a ten-minute session. With news, you know instantly that you've uh, wandered instantly bring it back. So you get 50 or 100 reps in in the same session. So it really sort of focuses and heightens your meditation and makes you hyper aware of when you're wandering and when you're in the zone. Now this rolls out into the productivity in your daily life immensely. So the first thing that I noticed, we work in an open office and so everybody's always wanting something from me. I perceive. They probably aren't, but in my mind everyone that walks by is like, oh, oh, I need to pay attention to that rather than the thing I'm doing. Right. As soon as I started using regularly, I first joined a study that we had internally um, back in the early days when we were testing, I noticed that I was just focused in on my work. 
And if a distraction would come, I'd be like, oh, I don't really care. I can choose to come back here. You really learn that function of choosing to bring your mind back to the thing that's in front of you and the thing that you care about. Um, these sensations of procrastination that one tends to get, which are totally normal. It's a sensation of, oh, I don't really want to be doing this thing right now. It's too anxious. I don't know how to do it. After musing and really investing in myself and the ability to take my attention off the thing that is distracting and put it onto the thing I care about, procrastination slips away. Both because that sense of anxiety that you have of like, this is kind of big and I want to now go and look in the fridge instead because that's much more relaxing. Right. You recognize that you can deal with that anxiety more effectively. You can say, you know what, it's just anxiety. I don't care. I'm going to come back to the thing I'm working on. Distractions just aren't as compelling. I think that this is so important that you are bringing this to us because distraction is just a part of our lives. I mean, we just heard the sirens going by. I live in New York, which is, you know, really loud. But all of us, you know, we have our our different, you know, devices and, you know, there's this going on and, and you're we're always on call 24 hours a day and, you know, all of those things. And so I think that, you know, anything that can help us to be able to focus back, I think is really, really powerful. And that's interesting that you, in your internal study in your office, in your company, you notice differences in the interactions and how people are dealing with each other? Totally. So when you become more mindful overall, you have a lot less disagreements. It's much easier to get along with one another and to come to the same outcome. So we've now started uh, using prior to meetings, and our meetings are so much more productive because we've all started from the same place. We've all started from an understanding of we care about each other, we're here, we're all here to come to the same objective. We're going to check our egos, we're gonna check our fast responses and listen, and be able to just come back and be present with the other person and what they're saying and why this matters to me and why this matters to our shared outcome. Now, Ariel, how, when you say you muse before meetings, how long for maybe, how, can you tell us how long before meetings? And then when you said you muse regularly, how often you recommend that people muse? Sure. You can start with a session that's as short as three minutes. So before a meeting, we might just do a three-minute muse session, and it's really fast, and you're in, you're all on the same page, and then you get out. Um, Typically, people muse around 10 minutes a day. So we just did a study with Baycrest Hospital here demonstrating that musing for 10 minutes a day for six weeks decreases your somatic symptoms, your headache, your nausea, et cetera, decreases your negative affect, i.e. makes you happier, and increases your attention and your reaction times by 50 milliseconds. So there's this task called the strip task, and it checks how quickly you make decisions in difficult situations and conflicting information. And it improved 50 milliseconds after musing for six weeks. Oh, wow. Like real cognitive outcomes. And of course, it also demonstrates that you decrease your stress and you feel more calm. Um, well, so 10 minutes a day is a, is a great you know, set. If you have difficulty sleeping, um, musing right before you go to bed is a great ritual. So I have my muse on my bedside table, and I just slip it on before I go to bed, muse for about 10 minutes, depending on how long I want to hang out. Um, then kiss my husband goodnight and get a cuddle and fall asleep. <laughs> I will actually try your musing before bed because I I have challenges, you know, as a person who owns my mm -hmm. own business, turning off 
you know, at night. And so I will definitely try that. <laughs> and then, uh, Ariel, I have a, a very personal reason why this is very interesting to me when you talk about cognitive function that one of my very close aunts had, um, I have a family member who had a stroke over the summer mm -hmm. and she is in recovery. Is this something that, have you, have you done tests yet with people who are recovering from uh, brain injury like stroke? So we have a study that's running with uh, Harvard and Spalding Rehab Institution in Boston, and there they're using MUSE for MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury, so that would include post-stroke victims. Um, we don't know the outcomes of the study yet, but we certainly thought it was a promising avenue. That is a promising avenue, and what would the, what would the, the hope be for with, um, with people who are in those situations with using MUSE? What would be the desired outcome? The desired outcome in that case is that you learn to strengthen your attention. So attention is such a core foundation of our cognitive capability, the ability to attend to what you're listening to, attend to what's in front of you. It improves your memory because as you hold the contents of your working memory and then you get distracted, the contents of your working memory go. So the hope is that people with uh, mild traumatic brain injury are both able to improve their attention and also to decrease the stress around the entire process. So stress, as we know, cortisol, increases your uh, hippocampus's ability to form memories, uh, degrades your body's response in many, many ways. So when you're able to manage your stress around a difficult emotional situation, you're able to recover more readily. Um, there's just a big study done by Partners Healthcare that demonstrated that 4,000 people got relaxation response training, um, a six-week course, and afterwards had a 43% decrease in healthcare costs. Because oh. using the hospital system less, you're less of a hypochondriac, you're healing faster. So real data, real outcomes. That's that's perfect because Ariel, that so many people when we start to talk about, you know, meditation, you know, there's a, a contingent, as you know, as a scientist that says, you know, oh well that's just that airy fairy woo woo, you know, stuff and you're able to bring very specific data and it is scientifically proven that meditation alone has very strong benefits throughout your life. There's over a thousand published articles now demonstrating meditation's ability to improve your cognitive function, thicken your prefrontal cortex, improve the density of your gray matter, not to mention the impacts on stress, anxiety, um, attention, depression, and on and on and on. Okay, so then the other, the only other, um, and it's not even a criticism, but the only other, you know, kind of commentary that I heard from from a, a very tiny contingent of people, you know, who were like um, a little bit weirded out, were like, you know, the the paranoid group of people who are like, what brain sense? Like, what? Why? Why do we need this? What is it doing? Like, they felt like somehow it was recording your brain's data or something like that, or it was like now like a part of I don't know. People who are watching Scandal love it too much, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, so this is a device that gives you real-time feedback and you insight into your own mental function. This is a very personal device that helps you understand what goes on in your own mind. There's all sorts of ways to tap into the, the self, you know, through technology is one. You might go to the gym and use a heart rate monitor to see when you're in the fat burning zone, to see when, you know, when, you're, when your uh, cardiac um, health is good and when your cardiac health is failing and give you real information you can use. Um, if you want to use that, it's probably a lot more interesting to be able to tap into your brain and understand the information that's there and be able to utilize it. I actually started something called the Center for Responsible Brainwave Technologies that brings together people from 
neuroethics, from neuroscience, from across the board to ensure that everything is always ethical, highly, highly ethical as possible, not just in our own company, but across the entire industries it built and grows. This is something that I'm extremely passionate about. I always say if we don't create a technology that does good for the world, throw the technology in the garbage. We are 100% we are here to build something that is going to bring value. And actually, if I have a tip for anybody who's, who's out there looking to build a business, uh, it is build a business that builds value. Who, who cares about making money? Making money will happen if you have a value exchange. If you give somebody something that really matters, that is really doing good, that is good for the world, that you care about because you care about the person who's doing it and you want to elevate their life and make it better. So yeah. that's our 100% mission. And I, I just wish that that could be the mission of everybody on this planet. It really, really should be because, as you said, it's a value exchange. Money is just energy. And so, you know, if you are, it's like, well, what is the cost of peace of mind? What is the cost of, you know, so so rather than thinking of like, okay, well, what is the cost of what it is? You know, how can I get more money? How can you give more? How can you add value? You know, as they say, the fastest way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. What are you bringing to the, to the planet? Yeah. So, so, so Ariel, you're you're such a busy woman with you know all of the exciting things that you're doing. What is your personal self care? What do you do to take care of Ariel? Um, so, music is a really obvious one, and really bringing meditation into my life as a common and stable practice has probably been the number one thing that has changed my ability to manage everything that goes on. I've been in five cities over the last seven days, and I love it. It's easy. My other self-care is, and this is of course related to the meditation approach, is your mentality. You could see something in front of you as stressful and, oh my God, I have to be in five cities, or you could see it as incredibly inspiring and so much fun. You know, the opportunity to be in the world, to meet people, to see new things, to share what you're doing, to come up with ideas, to give them to others. This is the best thing in the world, like, period. <laughs> and so, you know, perspective is the thing that shifts something that could be stressful to make it something that is joyful and amazing because we all have the opportunity to live joyful and amazing lives. So open your heart to it and open your mind to it and let it run. Yes, well said. Well, before we go, Ariel, I want to know then, you know, for the person who's watching and says, you know, yeah, that sounds great, but <laughs> but it's easy for you, Ariel. They, they they say, you know, I've heard this, I've heard this a lot. Like people assume, you know, they don't they don't understand that, you know, that your happiness is a choice. And so they say, well, it's easy for you. You're you're attractive. You're educated. You've you know got a lot going on for yourself. You know, you're abundant. How you know that it's easy for you can you speak a bit to that sure so I, I completely accept that that mentality is not as easy for everybody but it is absolutely achievable for everybody so some people have very strong inner critics some people have much weaker inner critics your inner critic is that little voice inside your head the one that's going like oh this isn't gonna work out oh you're not doing it right uh, blah 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 oh. You know, it's very easy for me to look at myself and think that I'm the ugliest person in the world because my nose or my this or my that, or to look at myself and think I'm totally beautiful. It's a choice that each and every one of us have. And it's a choice that's made by actually confronting the voice in your head. And when it says, oh, well, it's easy for you, but like not for me because and blah, 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 take that voice, throw it on the wall, and tell it where to go. Because the things that it's telling you are not true. 
The things that it's telling you are the things that are holding you back. The things that are telling you are these stories that you've had looping in your head for years that keep you stuck in the exact same place. And you have the opportunity to look at that story, to look at that little voice, and to tell it to write off or whatever the right language is for you because it doesn't need to hold you back. Because anybody can make a different choice at any moment. And, and often that feels so hard and often that feels so impossible and you feel so stuck. But once you make the first smallest choice, the first, the first smallest thing that's different, go home at a different time, eat something different, call somebody, tell yourself that you're loved, hug somebody that you do love, make, make that first choice, then make the bigger one, and then you could make some really, really big ones. We can all move out of the place that we're in and into a place that is better. Know that that is there for you and you are able to do it. And know that you have the ability to say no to that voice in your head and not get sucked in down the path again. Beautiful. Ariel Garden, thank you so much for being such a light worker on this planet and the work that you're doing. Please tell everyone where they can learn more about Muse or get their own brain sensing headband to deepen their mindfulness practice. And to learn to challenge those voices in their head and to take out of the anxious place and go into the place of clear clarity. You can go to choosemuse.com choosemuse.com and find out more there. Beautiful. And I, I appreciate so much you adding, you know, about those voices in the head. I write about this actually and call it the inner bully. And I think that it's really, you know, important, as you said, that we, it's everything. <laughs> it's not, you know, that we address that because we all have, you know, those, those internal voices that tell us, you know, well, you're, you're not good enough and we are enough. We just have to just tune into it. And so this is beautiful work that you are doing on this planet. Everyone, you know, experiment, get your muse and let me know, you know, what you're thinking and how it is enhancing your life. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, Ariel. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to all you beautiful beings out there who are so gorgeous. Just let yourself shine. Yes, and for all of my spiritpreneurs and my sacred bombshells, namaste. The sacred bombshell in me sees, adores, and accepts the sacred bombshell in you. See you next time. And choose Muse. <laughs>